So where I want to begin is, you know, you shared a really interesting idea that I think many people had during COVID, but not many actually put it in play, which is creation of a book club. I'd love for you to walk me through how to come about and uh, what was the impact? So I, this is probably early 2021. So we had been staying home for what, nine months or so at that point in time. And I was feeling like I personally just needed more connection outside of the people living in my four walls of my house and work online meetings. That was basically my connection to the outside world at that point in time. So I just put a note out there in early January, kind of a New Year's resolution-ish kind of thing. Just, you know, hey, anybody want to join me in this? And I had really great response. But what was cool was it was women from all different parts of my life and my past. So former co-workers from two companies ago, a friend's relatives. So there's been about probably five or six of us that have really stuck with it. So we meet every other Saturday morning um, and we continue to do it now, even though, you know, for all intents and purposes, we're back to normal life. But at the time, it provided just that great sense of connection for us. We live all in different parts of the country, um, but it provided a great sense of connection for us. Um, it's, you know, mostly book, but just lots of catching up on life and kids and what's happening. And we've stuck with it. We've gone through, I don't even know how many books now. Um, it just provides that great sense of connection for us. And that's, that was really what we were seeking and, and what it continues to provide, even though times have changed, luckily, since then. You know, this idea and importance of connection in our lives, we, we weren't designed to be alone. Right. So this topic that we're, we're going to take on today, which is the tension between virtual and in-person employee experiences. I mean, it's this is really close to home for me. I think that has been a devastating blow to my ecosystem just because, you know, I remember all of the times where good ideas happen after the meeting. It wasn't about, hey, this isn't the, the hour. It was the lunch, the dinner, the walk, all of those elements. Um, so before we dive into virtual versus in-person, and I know lots of folks that are listening in are curious on, on your point of view, let's give it context and let's talk about what are the business goals that are going to be um, impacted by the way we think about in-person versus virtual, or maybe what goals aren't impacted by it? I I hear about a couple of things specifically. So the the main concern that I think we've dealt with at my company, but that I've heard a lot about from other companies is culture. So not necessarily a business goal per se, but an overarching desire to maintain, preserve, respect, grow company culture. And the fear that comes with that is if we're not together, our culture falls apart, which I think is a bit of a misnomer because culture is bigger than just the walls of a building or the artifacts in a building. That's very important aspects of culture. So that's one thing. I think the other thing is just performance in general. So I think, you know, I've seen, again, in general, across industries, executives tend to have a bit more propensity to the in-person from culture, but also performance, right? We need to be together to collaborate, innovate, drive results. And there's certainly a, a fair concern in that. And then there is, I think, the rank and file employees who say, yes, and we've done all that for two years successfully from our homes. So why does it need to be different now? So I think that's where some of the inherent tension comes in around those two, if you want to call them business goals. I'm with you. And I think it's really important for us as we think about the organization, identify the population that has a choice. 
you know, in some industries and in, in some kind of, in some organizations, there simply is no choice. You can't do certain jobs remotely. But when there is a choice, let's unpack first the executive position. And I've spoken to multiple executives that just reached a point of saying, it's not the same. We can't function unless it's, you know, just bare, bare necessities. We can't innovate. We can't collaborate. There are all kinds of challenges that um, make virtual impossible to make to, to, to be effective. So let, let's unpack that, the executive position. What are you seeing? Yeah, that's interesting. I think um, a, a leader at my company who I respect a lot has recently said that, you know, again, going back to what you talked about earlier, humans are wired to be together. And if you think about in your personal life, um, when things are going well or when things are not going well, especially maybe when things are not going well, we come together. So if someone is, you know, going through a hard time, people bring food to them, they get together, they surround them, they support them. You can then extrapolate the same thing to business. So definitely, I think a case to be made for we get our best work done when we're together. I also like what you talked about at the beginning was around, I call it that empty space or the open space where you have the serendipitous conversations in the hallway. You don't have to schedule a meeting but you just have the conversation or you bump into someone in the cafeteria or the break room or someone stops by your cube or you stop by somebody else's cube. It's, it's those, those things that you can't replicate in a virtual setting because virtual settings, we join this little real estate of screen. We talk about whatever we're going to talk about and then we jump off and we go to whatever else is the next topic. So I think there is a, a valid concern around that in terms of, um, we're not, it's not the same. There's just some things about being a person that you can't replicate being virtual. Right. And I also remember walking through the office and just making eye contact, right, on a, on a Monday morning or any morning. And uh, I remember walking through and, you know, 20, 30 folks, you, you say hello, you wave. And there was one or two that stood out of, that wasn't the same wave. The eyes didn't didn't speak the same, and and I make a note to check in with them later. Um, but now let's let's go to the other the other extreme of this: folks that are working from home, that are enjoying traffic. There's no traffic. They're able to do their laundry, go for walks, walk the dog, be there for the kids, cook during the day. Um, this has created an entire new realm of possibilities, even where you live. You, you can now move out of a city, you can move to a different location if you want to be by the beach, nature, in the mountains, all of these options. So let's reflect on all of the positives that virtual has created for countless, uh, you know, folks out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit on a lot of them, right? So just the flexibility to better harmonize work and life is been a great advantage, a great equalizer maybe of the pandemic and then virtual work. And so um, whether it's about where you choose to live or who you choose to work for, you're no longer bound by a geography if you want to stay in the same location, but look for a new job, right? Because there's so much virtual options now, remote options. Um, being able to better harmonize work and life, whether it's you know less commutes, you're getting two hours back in your day. Um, a lot of people, I think it's an economic thing too with you know inflation, gas prices in the majority of the country are still extremely high. And so avoiding that extra wear and tear in your vehicle, the gas, it's, it's a real economic savings for a lot of people too. Um, I have also heard and read in different sources from a DNI perspective, 
Um, a lot of you know underrepresented employee groups have talked about the need they feel to mask or code switch when coming into the office that doesn't exist when you're in a remote setting. So the extra non-value added energy that's expense by trying to code switch, right, in the office setting is not needed or not needed to the same level or felt to be at the same level when you're remote. So I think there's definite benefits from a DEI perspective as well. Um, it, it really does level the playing field. The other thing that's interesting about this format is it equalizes. So on Zoom, no one has the corner office. No one has the title. Everyone has the same real estate and screen, which again, is you're not sitting around. There's not the the power dynamics at play as there would be in a boardroom. No one's sitting at the head of the table. No one's sitting along the wall, right? It just, it equalizes in some of those respects as well, which is interesting. Never thought about it. Equalizer in terms of the, you know, we all have one square on whatever video platform we use. Um, but then, and then we'll throw this out on on the opposite, because I'm thinking, you know, positives and, and negatives. As we're thinking about the, the Zoom calls, I, I remember when you walk into, a, a, I say, I remember walking into a, a meeting uh, oh my goodness, it's been that long. But when you have a lot of folks, you start a conversation, someone on the right, someone on the left. Lots of conversations are taking place as we all continue to think about, you know, or wait for the meeting to begin. Now, you get on the Zoom, 20, 30 folks, who speaks? Five people, no one's, it, it's just, it's weird and awkward, right? Yeah, so, you know, when you and I spoke, you also mentioned this idea of an employee contract. And I said, well, you know, that's the legal. Are you talking about the, the legal we signed? You said, no, 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 no. There, there's another employee contract. So walk us through the other employee contract that you had in mind. Yeah. I think it's the employee contract that's the unspoken. And maybe it's a better way as the employee value proposition, right? So, you know, historically, um, employees could expect from an employer study income, benefits, career growth, whatever those things might be how does that change? Like, what are the new things that make a career, a company attractive to employees? And we know that they look different now, right? Before this was already kind of happening before. Um, you think about the great resignation or quiet quitting, all the different things that have come out since the pandemic around what employees value most now. It might not be the steady income or the biggest paycheck or the office. It might now be flexibility. It might be connection to a greater purpose. It might be companies who are invested in some level of social good, whether it's sustainability or economic, social justice, whatever that might be. I just think there's a whole level of unspoken things beyond the whatever your employment contract entails that have likely shifted or changed in some way as a result of the last two and a half years that we've all experienced. Adds a whole new dimension to the relationship between the employer and employee, even though I don't like the term, either term, employer or employer, but it adds, adds this dimension. And uh, when we think about this this employee value proposition, who's responsible for it? Who, who owns this? Is this an organization-wide? Is this my manager, my peers? Who's involved in, in this dynamic? My perspective is it's a multifaceted responsibility. So... The employer certainly has a part of that. Um, is the employer creating a culture that values, you know, safety for employees, psychological, physical safety, 
um, diversity, inclusion, belonging, all those things are, you know, definitely part of what the employer commits and, and creates to, along with then some of the more contractual things, benefits, salary, et cetera. The manager plays a huge role in it. I think it's very true, having done leadership development for a number of years, that people don't leave companies, they leave managers. Um, you can have the company culture and then really how you experience that is through your manager and your team. And if the manager isn't doing that well, if they're allowing things to perpetuate in their immediate culture um, that aren't conducive to those things, that's you know that's their role too. So they have a, a huge ability to make it really good and a huge ability to make it not good. But I think the employee themselves also has a responsibility in it. So knowing as an individual, what are the things I'm looking for in an employer? What's important to me? What's my purpose? How important is it that my purpose aligns with the purpose of an organization or a team I'm going to be part of? Do I support the purpose of this organization? Do I align with the values of my team, of the culture I'm working in? So I think that's where the employee has a right to advocate for themselves, a responsibility to advocate for themselves, always include themselves in being a voice in that, that contract conversation. Totally agree. And, and let's zoom in on the manager specifically, because ultimately, this is my experience, is when organizations talk about purpose and values, when they talk about those things, if they don't show up in the relationship with the manager, uh, lip service at best. Like these are the wall, letters on the walls and, and these are the, me- I've even had multiple folks inside organizations say this messaging is not for us, it's for the customers, right? So their organization looks good. But let's, let's, let's look at the manager. We also had Gallup on yesterday, just absolutely focus most of our attention on the role of the manager and the employee experience. And let's look at it from the perspective of the virtual versus in-person. Right. One of the things that's important for managers to establish trust. And and how do we establish trust in a virtual environment where, you know, now everything has to be by design. There isn't a coffee break. There isn't a walk. How do we do we now ask for more meetings? Do we do we enable do we recommend managers to schedule? Uh, let's go for a walk together. That's on the phone. How do we build trust in the virtual environment? It's a great question. I think this is, from my own observation, I think something that we've really struggled with. So I think about the experience of employees who were in the office and then suddenly went home but had those existing relationships versus employees who had to onboard completely virtually, maybe have never met anyone face-to-face. And there's a lot of employees globally like that today. Uh, I think one thing is just, consistency right so whatever those touch points are that you're having are they consistent with your employees because that's really what builds trust right so if it is the standard meetings if it's the one-on-ones making sure that you are having the one-on-ones um don't let it be out of sight out of mind so which i think is easy i know it was easy for me with my team during the pandemic of just to forget about oh hey so and so on my team i haven't checked in with them in a while they might not be a direct report of mine but when we were in the office, I would see them and I would be able to check in with them more frequently. I think the manager, it's incumbent on them to create more of those opportunities now. Um, not in a, in a cheesy, too much kind of a way that it becomes cumbersome on the employee, but just in a way to just check in, make sure that you're maintaining that, that communication line, um, the check-in. So it could be, you know, quick huddle meetings. It could be making sure you have those one-on-ones. Um, if there is an opportunity to connect with employees face-to-face now that it's 
you know, for the most part, safe to do so. That was a, a hindrance for us for some part of time. Um, do that. So if you are in some geographic proximity to your employee or your team, can you have some of those regular touch points, even if it's just meeting someone for lunch or coffee at Starbucks, right? Um, whatever that looks like, but making sure that you have those. And then whatever those connections are, making sure that you as a leader are showing up consistently throughout those, consistent with the values and the leader that you want to be, um, that's going to build trust over time. And and ultimately, I think that you can't replace time with some of these things, right? Trust over Trust is built over time and over consistency over that time. Yeah, this just came up, I think it was yesterday, acts of consistency versus acts of intensity, right? How important it is to be consistent. And you mentioned, you know, getting together for coffee at a Starbucks. It's an interesting thought. And you mentioned this, I think, during our previous discussion where you said it's not about be or not to be. Are we looking now to create this alternative way of working together where now a manager in their direct report, instead of being in that meeting room, right on Tuesday at three o'clock, could we now go for a walk? Could we now meet at a Starbucks? And it really is a lot more like meeting a friend and, and having a more casual conversation with someone who cares. H- how do you think about that be or not to be? Do we just uh, abandon some of the old ways of thinking and we begin to dare to dare to, to wonder? I think we have to, right? I think we have to because I think that data shows that the old ways of doing it aren't necessarily like what got us here won't get us there (laughs) and just the changing paradigm the changing context that we're working under again going back to that employee employer contract um, I think we have to challenge ways of leadership of showing up with employees uh, and then get creative about it too so hey maybe you're not in physical proximity and you can't um, easily connect with an employee in person what can you do right so can you send them and there's a lot of different, I feel like, pop-up businesses that have come up during the pandemic catering to this niche around, you can send them a personalized care package. You can send them a personalized, right? So you can send them a Starbucks gift card. That's easy enough to do. So you can have coffee together, but in different locations or find some. I think the biggest thing is doing something that's meaningful for that employee. So, you know, some employees, this isn't going to be meaningful and it's going to be more of an annoyance, but that's where I think the understanding your employees and where they're at, what their context is, what's meaningful for them is really important. I've read, you know, a long time ago, the book, The Five Love Languages. I know there's different versions for business, for children, parenting, things like that. It's, it's kind of that, right? Like, what's your employee's love language, for lack of a better term? Um, are you speaking that as a manager in a way that's going to be received well by them? So important. Um so so we talked about the organization, we talked about the manager, we talked about the employee value proposition or, or the employee contract, if you will. Um, the next level where, where kind of my mind goes is what's the responsibility of the individual to inspire themselves? And, and you and I touched on it briefly. But at what point is it not about the organization or the manager, but um, it, it is sometimes tough to be inspired in your own home and you don't have a context switching process anymore. You know, maybe you were driving for 20 minutes or an hour listening to an audiobook. You got to the office, you put on that, um, you know, th- that mindset. And all of a sudden now you run from, from a taking a shower and, and two minutes later you're on the phone call. How do we think about the responsibility that individuals have in inspiring themselves? Yeah, it's a great question. I think one is um, keep challenging yourself. And checking in with yourself. 
And if you feel like you're getting stale or it's not the same challenge, like what do you need to change? Are there things that you can change? Great. Do that. Are there things that you can't change or out of your control? And then it's a different conversation with yourself, right? But I think ultimately my mantra is life is too short to be miserable at work. (laughs) So if you're feeling like not challenged, if you're feeling, um, this isn't aligning with my purpose or what am I doing here? Like there might be things that you can do within your own sphere of influence. Great. And you might need to make another choice. Now I know that's a, sounds like a very privileged position to say, I'm not inspired at this place. I'm going to go get another job, right? How realistic is that actually? But also thinking about what can I do to be an agent of change in this as well? So what's my efficacy in the situation to make a change? If it's, hey, I know I used to have these routines that serve me really well in my day. I've gotten out of them. I need to get back into them. I think a lot of people struggle with this at the beginning of the pandemic where it was that I you know, got up, took a shower, went downstairs, got on my Zoom calls. I personally couldn't do that. <laughs> I still kept my routine as much as possible. Get up, exercise, get ready, get on calls, right? And, and just having that buffer um, I've heard some people say that, you know, they didn't have their commute at the end of the day, but what they would do is they would close the door of their home office for 10 minutes after shutting off their computer and just take that time and decompress before going and spending time with their family. And for them, it was just a a quick but meaningful break in the day. I've heard some people say they would get in their car and drive around the block a few times, right? Just something to signify my workday is ending, my personal life is beginning. Because I think that that has been a downside of the pandemic. While flexibility is great, it's also blurred and bled the lines a lot between work and home to a point where I think a lot of people felt like they were working way more at home than they were in the office and then perhaps not to a healthy level. Yeah, I've heard of a story of a family where a uh, husband and wife, they would just go for a walk around the block to come back home and, and get to work. What do you think about opening up these conversations inside organizations, whether at the manager level, organizational level? Because one of the challenges here now is we're entrenching to this, these tensions between executives and uh, front lines. And uh, the entrenchment kind of continues. And, and now the, is it becoming, hey, if we as executives feel the talent market is um, cooling down, we're going to make you because we think it's more, more, more effective. Or, or do they dare to start a conversation and begin to wonder, as you and I just did, what, what's possible? Perhaps it's at the manager level where managers can now open up these conversations and talk about what you said, the love language, but really what, your style, your preferences. W- what's best? Yeah. I personally feel that there has to be that dialogue. There has to be that conversation. Um because yeah, things are cooling off now and they won't be cool forever. <laughs> and employee memory is long. <laughs> and so having that that desire from both parties, I think, to seek to understand before seeking to be understood, right? Having the conversation, what's your perspective? What's my perspective? Okay, I see value in your perspective. You can find value. In, and finding that middle ground where we're understanding. That's what I love about the question you posed around it's not just to be or not to be, it's more of a spectrum of there's a lot of right answers along that spectrum, but it's taking into context. It's taking into what's the business you're in? What are you trying to achieve together? How do you best serve your customers? All these different things. 
And so the answer that's best for you and your context might not be best for me in my context and both are right and both are good. So having that conversation, whether that's through a lot of companies use engagement surveys or pulse surveys to do that, listening tours, focus groups. I know we've done a lot of those at my company as well during the last couple of years, um, whatever it is, but just keeping those lines of communication open. I think the worst is when both parties get so entrenched in their beliefs. And, and we see this across society in general right now. <laughs> There's a lot of entrenchment, encampment, and whatever it is, politics, religion, ideology. Um, the worst is when we stop talking to each other. Seek to understand first, right? Um, so most of the our audience are champions inside organizations. And um, they're listening in in order for them to learn how they can best create change within their companies. And today, I, uh, considering the context of the discussion, they're listening with the question of how do I get our executives to listen first, to understand first. You mentioned employee memories are long. I think that is important, right? When there's a carrot, there's a stick. Uh, from that perspective, what else could a champion lean on when they're take when they're walking into opposition from executives in even exploring or or or, or taking that first step to understand? And instead, they have a very strong point of view. Many uh, grew up in corporate, and and even having these conversations seems a bit, um, you know. Uh, not normal for them. Hey, I worked hard. I worked a lot of hours. What is this work work from home situation? So, let's equip our champions listening to have to be set up for success. Yeah, one idea I would offer. I'm curious what you think about this too. Is can you take things that you would do in other parts of your business and apply them to this? So, design thinking comes to mind. I heard one of your other podcast guests speak about this, and I wonder if that applies here. So. The idea of let's start with empathy, empathetic listening, again, seeking to understand the position. So yeah, maybe this isn't your context. Maybe you're not a single mom working from home and finding the balance of that so much better for you. Um, maybe you're not someone who has a one hour commute, but like, let's talk to people. Let's understand, seek to understand their position, their point of view. Um, I wonder if some of that other you know, bringing in some of those other mindsets could help um, with this. I think also exposing to the possible, right? <laughs> so yeah, again, a lot of the people, I think it's, it's black and white, right? It's, it's either this or it's that. There's a spectrum along, like what could the possibilities be along that spectrum that would meet both parties, right? The desire to keep, preserve, maintain our culture while also ensuring that employees feel like they're heard, that they have efficacy in the situation, that they're not being done to in terms of a policy that says, you have to be here this many days a week, these number of hours, et cetera. Um, just, yeah, like having that conversation, um, applying different ways of approaching the problem. Um, and just, you know, if, I think moving in small steps is progress. So, Maybe you have an executive who's firmly entrenched in their views now. They're not going to get to, you know what, total remote work is awesome. But what would progress look like for them in that conversation? Maybe it's, you know what, I'm open to this and here's where I think we could move. That's great, right? It's like you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? So how could you make progress? Um, what would progress look like for you? Again, in a way that's going to be meaningful for your employee context and your employee situation. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm actually just pulled up the quote that you shared with me a few days ago from Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella. Uh, people come for other people. People don't come because of a policy. Right? Foundationally, it's it's not about the policy the organization is going to create. It's it's these relationships and empathy to understand the individual stories and the impact of this decision. Like it's it's just um, I, I think that I think that's critical. But also, there are a lot of data points. You're not going to you're not going to be able to improve the disengagement, the lack of connection. Uh, Gallup mentioned that only 20% feel connected, right, in the work. And, and you're going to bring these folks back and force them to be in the office, go back to that commute, and you think that's going to improve the numbers or the quiet quitting. All of a sudden, you're going to see all kinds of challenging behaviors uh, come up. Um, so, last question: What what other advice could you share with our champions as they continue to take on these un unprecedented challenges, uh, ever changing environment, work environment they're in? Um, maybe parting advice from you. Oh wow! I mean, I think it's we're in uncharted territory, right? So, <laughs> no one has ever, at least in my lifetime, faced a situation like this where you have this huge inflection that basically overnight disrupts how we did things. You know, a whole bunch of people in the workforce were not working from home and then literally overnight started working from home for an extended period of time and really like it now. Um, so I think, you know, be kind to yourself that <laughs> I think nobody has the right answer. No one's figured it out or cracked the code on this. One more suggestion is how can we help our leaders or executive teams to take the long game on this? So we talked about the employment market is cooling off right now for sure. And so things are probably going to swing back in the short term to the employer's favor that won't last forever. And so how can you as a company, as an organization, position yourself to win the long game with employees so that when things do start to heat up again and employees are getting more reach out from other companies, other recruiters, et cetera, they don't want to leave because they like where they're at. They're happy, right? So how can you think about it? Just as, as you would approach, a, approach your strategic planning from a long-term view, how can you approach this issue from a long-term view as well? It's almost like empathy as the long game. Yeah. Amazing conversation. We, we, did, we went from discussing the tension to the value proposition all the way to empathy and the possibilities beyond. I, I couldn't be more appreciative of you jumping on and, and sharing your point of view. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Over and out.